Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great having you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and the CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com. Make sure to click on the links in my show link. Or email me at michelle dot z o u at ptcgconsulting.com. And as always, I welcome you to connect me on LinkedIn. Today we have Professor David McHardy Reed. Last name is R E I D. Professor David McHardy Reed from Seattle University. He's on the show together with me to talk about the pace of innovation in China. So welcome, Professor Reed. Thank you, Michelle. It's nice to be here with you. Yeah. So、um, I like this university. It's a very—I would say—it's not a big one. It's a private university. Private and,、uh, university. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And、uh, how long have you been here as a professor teaching? Well, I've been here twelve years. Twelve years, years already. Yeah. Yeah.、Mm. Yeah. And、uh, what's the department and the subject you are teaching these days? Well, I'm professor of global business strategy, and in that remit, I teach two courses on China. One of them is a graduate course called "Competing with and Cooperating with China." Okay, conflicting, competing with and cooperating with China. <laughs> yeah, and the other one is、uh, an undergraduate course called "Understanding China: Its Role in Global Business." So maybe help us to understand your background with China. I know we chatted before; it's a really, really long history, many years. It、um, is many years. Yeah. It dates back to 1985, when I was in Scotland, and out of the blue, without any solicitation on my part, I was offered a job in Hong Kong. And I was very busy at the time. I owned a small consulting company, and I was working in a university. And I thought, I I don't have time to go to Hong Kong. And <laughs> people around me said, No, you're crazy. You know. This is an unusual opportunity. You should do that.、Huh. So I went to Hong Kong, and it changed my life. You could say, I found the people were very kind to me, very welcoming, and I found it was really easy to do business there. And I quickly, and on top of my academic work, I became a strategy director for a big advertising agency. I was director of strategy and planning for Asia. Yes, it was a really interesting time. Things happened very quickly, and effectively, I stayed there for ten years. For ten years,、yeah. uh, I, you are Scottish. Yes. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And、uh, you stayed in Hong Kong for ten years. Yeah. Because that job opportunity. Because of different things kept me there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different things. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah.、Mm. Yeah. It was a very interesting place to be. Mm. Of course, that was during the lead up to the handover, 
And during that time. You mean I the 1997 handover, Hong Kong from uh, yeah. um, UK to yeah. China mainland? <laughs> yes, and I felt it really felt as if I was in the center of the world because all of the news seemed to be around that. Yeah, the negotiations between Britain and China, and uh, yeah, and it was it was very exciting. After that, I went to Australia, and it didn't seem anywhere near as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's another job opportunity to yes, you to Australia. Yes, another job opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> but during my time, if you want to hear this kind of stuff, during my time in Hong Kong, I was approached by the Economist to write a book on Japan, and I did that. And then they asked me to help with some work on Taiwan, and then they asked me to do another one on Thailand. When I went to Australia. The Financial Times invited me to do something similar for Korea, which I did. And then I did some work for the EU on Southeast Asia. And, and suddenly I realized I'd interviewed three, four hundred CEOs around Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't touched China. That ha, seemed so stupid. I sort of slapped myself on the side of my head and said, silly me. And from then on, I focused entirely on China. So I've been doing research in China, you know, for the last 20-something years. Mm -hmm. yeah. So after your Australia, then did you move back to Scotland or you come to the U.S.? What's the from Australia, footprint? I back, <laughs> from Australia, I went to uh, Rochester, New York. <laughs> and I was there for about six years. Uh -huh. and then, Still in the advertising industry? Or no, totally I was different? working in a university. Uh -huh. I, uh, I was the, um, uh, had what you call an endowed chair of international business at mm. Rochester Institute of Technology. Ah. And that afforded me with the opportunity to continue doing my China research. And then I came to Seattle for another endowed chair in international business. And I, again, I continued with my, my China research. So I've been focusing on China since 1990. That's how many years is that? That's 28. Getting yeah, almost 30, 30 years. years. 30 years uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. is a long history. Mm -hmm. mm. And you have seen the change during this, because that's the time when China really grew rapidly. From the 1978, that's mm -hmm. where China yeah, started to sure. open the door, right? Yeah, that's right. Then in the 1980s, uh, there's uh, some changes. In, from 1990s, it's catching up to mm -hmm. the uh, global economy. Right. Yeah. So My first real entry into what we used to call the mainland was in 1985. And I went around Guangdong province, and I thought, China's going nowhere. It just seemed so far behind, mm -hmm. and uh, I could not have been so wrong. <laughs> 1985, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting, yeah. I don't remember if I, I think 1985, we have TVs. Is, is that a black and white or color TVs? I cannot remember it anymore. I don't remember, I don't remember. <laughs> Coming back to our topic today, innovation, mm -hmm. I want to concentrate more on focusing on this point of what's the changes of the innovation in China. Maybe I start with an impression that we heard over and over from many people, like China, in terms of the technology innovation, even on consumer goods, Chinese are very good in copy. 
mm-hmm. copying things, yeah. right? That's why we have a word, Shanzai. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what that means? Yes, I do. Shanzai, yes. Shanzai uh, means that you copy other people's stuff mm-hmm. and make it cheap. It looks almost the same. It's sometimes you can take it to a higher level. Yeah, sometimes it's a higher level. So that starts from no matter it's consumer goods, mm-hmm. appearance, or electronics, phones, right? That, yes. that was before. Yeah. It, this gives the impression that the Chinese, when they see something and they can quickly copy it, then they make their own and um, maybe it's changed. I think it changed to starting from there, now they innovate on top of it. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about this uh, through your research mm-hmm. on the innovation side in China. What do you see as a trend? Or what have you observed? What happened before comparing what it is going in the future? Well, what I have seen is that people very quickly adopt new things. So a new product, say like an iPhone, uh, people see it. And they soon get used to its utility, and very quickly it, a version, it gets copied, Let's, for want of a better word. People start making something similar. They invest in the kind of players, some of the kind of players that we're talking about, like Huawei, ZTE. Yeah? They invest a lot of money in research, and they try to do a, a good job, and they, they do bring out some very good products. So the period of time between which some players in China are able to spot an opportunity and react to it can be very short. But what has always puzzled me about China and innovation is, as you say, it has the reputation of being good at copying, and many people tend to think that that's all that China can do. So more recently, and it it seems kind of strange because there was a famous scholar from the uh, University of Cambridge called Joseph Needham, and he did a study of all of the innovations that had come out of China over many, many years. And things like the compass, like the uh, yeah, the four the steer, major innovations. Yeah, yeah, major innovations came from <clears throat> China, and people take it for granted. And so, how come that China could have been so innovative over the years and suddenly lost its ability to innovate? That didn't make any sense to me. Mm. So I did a put a paper together fairly recently, which I shall be presenting. In June at the China Goes Global Conference in Shanghai, and it's what we call absorptive capacity. It's a theoretical paper. What it postulates is that China has been acquiring since it's, we're talking about a relatively short period. Since you know, let's forget about um, you know things that happened uh, uh, since 1949 through to the mid 70s. But since that, what China has had to do since it opened up is develop what we call absorptive capacity. Absorptive capacity. Absorptive capacity. capacity. Mm-hmm. And that means that it has to have the ability to recognize something that looks important and be able to interpret the data about that phenomenon and be able to assimilate information and data that makes sense around it. For example, Mm -hmm. if 
you gave me a USB drive with mm -hmm. a lot of blueprints and formula, uh, all representing, say, stolen IP. It wouldn't be very useful to me because I don't have the ability to spot one of those formula might be extraordinarily important, but I wouldn't know that. So And so it is with organizations. They have to develop the ability to make sense of the data as it comes in before they can actually adequately utilize it. Mm -hmm. So my theory is that this quality of absorptive capacity has been increasing over the years and it will suddenly get to a critical point where uh, Chinese companies can make sense of most things mm -hmm. and we will see an uptick, a steep uptick in the perception of innovativeness around these kind of companies. Mm -hmm. We see new stuff coming out, new products and people say, wow, yeah, like at one time they would say, that's made in Japan, it's innovative, it's good. They'd say, that comes from China, it must be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a question of how the wheel turns. Yeah, the brand image of China will yeah. change. Yeah, the That's country of prediction. origin image of China yeah, mm -hmm. will change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the yeah. image of Chinese, it was so funny. I was talking to another person who has been here for 30 years. He said mm -hmm. the image of Chinese before, right, mm -hmm. was poor and uh, weak and, uh, you know, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. Then these years, when people think about Chinese who are visiting the U.S., mm. going to the stores, mm. uh, they use the word to hao, means have a lot of money, <laughs> you spend money. Right. Like right. Stand to attention, <laughs> click <laughs> <Right>. your heels, <laughs> put a smile on. <laughs> right, right. So and the image of China also have changed uh, for mm -hmm. this country. Yeah. And now become, for some people, is a little bit scary. <laughs> oh, China becomes so big and so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so on innovation side, you think the image or the perception will change from before like China copies to China innovates. Yes, and I innovation. So. Uh -huh. As you mentioned, the absorptive capacity, this concept you said, the first step is to recognize what are important things, yes, right? Yes. Then you can start to use this. And you need to develop the ability to decode and categorize and to interpret the uh, significance of the data that comes to your hand. Yeah. After that, then you innovate on top of yeah. it, assembly everything, yes. come up with something even new. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes, you build mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. yeah, so that's smart. That's not starting everything from scratch again. That's right. Right, you build on the shoulders of those giants. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's look at a couple of examples. I believe you have tons of examples through your research. Anything that comes to your mind that you think uh, indicates or give uh, supporting points to your theory? Mm -hmm. um, well, if you take a company like Huawei, they spend about $20 billion a year mm -hmm. on research and development. And they hire the best people available in China and from outside of China. Yeah, they have a branch right here in Seattle area and uh -huh. uh, very close to Microsoft. <laughs> see? Yeah. And so you have to accept that yeah, these are intelligent, smart people and they're going to make 
rapid progress, and they are in their in their categories in the the uh, in terms of um, switching systems and what have you. They're, they're dominant players, but uh, in terms of global, say, consumer products like handsets, like smartphones, we're going to see. We are, they do. They produce some beautiful product. And if you look at say Silicon Valley, um, the majority of the people who are doing all of the work there are foreign. Right. That's right. And if you look at the majority of the majority of foreigners there working in Silicon Valley, they're Chinese. Chinese and uh, Indian. Indian, yeah. yeah. The Chinese are in the majority, and you know, so you know, you have to accept that that's where the innovation is coming. And as things move on, we have to see innovation coming out of China. Now, whether that means anything is another thing. You know, maybe innovation is going to be more global in the sense that. Yeah, if you look at the contents of an iPhone,、uh, some of it comes from Korea, some of it from Japan, some of it from China, and the proportion of um, of uh, accepted vendors for componentry and iPhones has doubled over the last. Coming from China,、mm-hmm. has doubled over a short period of time.、Mm-hmm. So we're going to see everything has somebody else's content in it, whether it's intellectual or whether it's componentry.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so. China is going to become, continue to play a big and larger role in terms of world innovation. Yeah,、mm, that's a very good example. Yeah,、um, I think it's time to take a quick break. Okay, and we'll be back right away. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China, with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com/forward/slash/voiceamerica. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting dot com. Now back to this week's program. All right, we're back. So, Professor Reed. If when you are doing the introduction part, I think、uh, you mentioned the conference that you are going. Is that in Shanghai in June? Yes, it's in Shanghai.、Mm-hmm. Yes, in June. Can you tell us a little bit more about that、uh, conference you are going? The China Global. China goes global. Yeah. China goes global.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess these conferences have been going on for about ten years. They were first held at the、uh, Kennedy School at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And they have now migrated different locations around the world. And essentially, what it is is a conference involving international scholars who do work on China and try to get a better understanding of China's role in the world and、uh, how it's developing in economic and business terms.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow! It's all people like you who are scholars. Yes.、Mm-hmm. yes. 
Yes. Mm. And of course, we invite people from certain companies to come talk, and we try to create some fusion between the scholars, scholars and, the, and the business community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you have a blended background of business combined with the scholars, academic world. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So the paper you are going to talk about, you shared with us a little bit about mm-hmm. the main concept, the absorptive capacity yes. innovation side mm-hmm. in China. Yes. How do we look into this? What's the implication of this concept to the business world? Since you have this strong background of this both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just a paper. <laughs> sure, no, it's not just a paper. Well, from the business world's point of view, they may think... Well, we're not seeing any really good products competing with us coming from China. But if they're not aware that there is likely to be this uptick based upon Chinese companies acquiring this property of absorptive capacity, absorptive capacity comes first, innovation follows. And my thesis is that this absorptive capacity is increasing. Chinese firms may not know about this concept, but they're developing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at some point, they're going to be much better at innovating, and we're going to see these innovations come out. Now, we've seen a lot of interesting examples. I mean, in my research, for example, uh, in consumer products, companies like uh, Procter & Gamble, Unilever in skincare, yeah, they are innovating in China. I mean, there was a case of a... Um, an academic in China, and he developed some line of skin care, and uh, it was got some of his input from Korea. The Koreans are very good on skin care. Anyway, this guy built up a successful business, and Procter and Gamble and Unilever tried to buy it from him. They offered him, say, a hundred million dollars, and no, nah, he's not interested in selling. Uh, no, he's just he's interested not selling in prosecuting his, his business. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because he's dedicated to what else is he going to do? Yeah. He's got enough money, gets a new car every three weeks if he wants it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's doing very well. Uh, if you take something like, uh, like Tencent, okay, they produced an analog of a foreign product, um, you know, Facebook product, say. But they've taken it to a much higher level and they've integrated WeChat Pay and all of these other functions and uh, restaurant bookings. And you can live within within WeChat. I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. spend I don't know how yeah. many hours on WeChat yeah. every day. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot about uh, Tencent because mm-hmm. when I worked in Microsoft, right. uh, that was many years ago. Right. Um, huh. 13, 14 years ago, uh-huh. um, we look at Tencent as one of the major competitor, mm-hmm. uh, one of the major competitors in the internet market. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Tencent, you know, in the very beginning, uh, had a, a product, uh, ICQ kind mm-hmm. of product, uh, QQ, mm-hmm. right? They call yeah. it QQ. And Microsoft has the Messenger mm-hmm. um, rebranded a couple yeah. of times. So that's competing. But uh, very soon, recent couple of years, uh, Tencent and WeChat become the dominant uh, uh, internet uh, mm-hmm. communicate, not just communication application. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just it's so everything. All encompassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Integrated all kinds of uh, functions. Well, for people who are not uh, familiar with WeChat, you can think about uh, WhatsApp. By the way, when yeah. I say that, then I think of, there was a way in the investment community, especially in the VC community, long time ago when 
in China, mm-hmm. when technology companies trying to pitch the VC community, then they would use, okay, this is a Uber like.、Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my business is、uh, like Uber in. China or、mm-hmm. my business is like, for example, Baidu is the、mm-hmm. social engine. It looks very much like a Google.、Mm-hmm. So when we introduce Baidu to people who are not in China, they don't know about、mm-hmm. it. We、mm-hmm. would say this is a Google in China. Facebook、mm-hmm. has their stuff because、mm-hmm. Facebook cannot、uh-huh. enter into China, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how years ago we say to help people、mm-hmm. understand、uh-huh. what it is by using Silicon Valley technology or U.S. technology. Which is very popular to help people understand、mm-hmm. the business model or the product itself.、Right. Yeah, so that's、uh, what was before. Now coming back to what you are saying is many、uh, new things built up on top of those、uh, technologies. And these are like examples of like a company like Tencent. It got engaged in this particular field, and it absorbed everything it needed to understand. About that field, and it was able to jack up its innovation to a higher level, so that WeChat becomes a superior product to the one that it originally tried to emulate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's absorptive capacity in operation there. Yeah.、Uh, similarly, with Sino,、uh, how it、uh, brought out Weibo again and. Did a better job for Chinese anyway than Twitter. Yeah, it's yeah. a Twitter type、um, of.、Uh-huh. And take Amazon. Look at JD.com. You know, it's <laughs> Kimo, Amazon. JD, Amazon is a, an ultra-ran in China.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, various reasons. There are other restrictive regions, reasons that sometimes impede companies. But these companies have done a really good job of absorbing the knowledge that they need in order to understand. The arena in which they operate, and thus become able to improve their products and innovate to a high degree.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also want to mention one thing: is well, it's not just within Chinese users inside China、mm-hmm. geography of、yes. these technologies and innovation. They are going to be in the worldwide.、Yes. For example, Tencent just recently. Well, first they have offices in different、uh, in different places, different cities in the U.S.,、mm-hmm. and their Tencent payment.、Uh, I take this as an example. WeChat payment. WeChat payment、uh, has expanded outside of China.、Mm-hmm. Um, through, tourism. Tourist. Yeah, tourism. Yeah, yeah. The Chinese users, when they come to different countries、yeah. as a tourist, they will spend money,、mm-hmm. and in China. You know, everybody using WeChat, Mobile、mm. Pay, right?、Yeah. Or there's another major payment is called、um, Alipay, Alipay, right? Yeah. So they have a habit、mm. of using the mobile phone to buy everything. Yes. And when they come to the U.S., they would like to use their mobile phone to pay. So Tencent has expanded the business by working with local partners in the U.S. To penetrate WeChat payment to many many of the merchants, that's、mm-hmm. what they are doing.、Uh-huh. In this way, I think、uh, very soon, through different、uh, entry point, WeChat will become common、yes. app in、mm-hmm. many、uh-huh. non-Chinese users in the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah, we can see that coming.、Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting and in how they expand their reach on the back of traveling Chinese consumers. Mm-hmm. And establish a base, and then other people begin to appreciate the utility of the of the service, and they buy into it also, and it becomes commonplace. Right.、Uh, the other、um, 
phenomena I observed is the people I work with, like Americans,、mm-hmm. because、uh, I work on U.S.-China cross-border business,、mm-hmm. and many Americans are using WeChat if they need to work with Chinese. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, I do that. I do that. Yeah, you use WeChat yeah. as well.、Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. After based on that, and I have another question, which is very practical,、uh, thinking about、uh, innovation in China, and where does those innovation come from? What are the places that、uh, you see more innovations versus、uh, some other places maybe you know s- lag? Yes, well, it is possible to measure innovativeness, and I've been working on another paper that attempts to provide guidance as to where you may wish to locate if you are, say, an investor in China. And innovation is part of your game plan. Then you may wish to know which cities you're likely to be able to attract innovative potential.、Mm-hmm. And we did this study. We actually looked at 15 sub-provincial cities. So we didn't. We weren't looking at Shanghai. We weren't looking at Beijing or Chongqing or Tianjin. We looked at 15 sub-provincial cities. And、um, sub-provincial cities、yeah. like what? Well, Shenzhen, Nanjing, Guangzhou,、mm. Hangzhou,、uh, Wuhan. In fact, that's the sequence. You know, the most、um, the most innovative place is Shenzhen, and of course, that is distorted by the、uh, presence of Huawei, ZTE, and many others.、Um, but Shenzhen is also a very expensive place, relatively to in which to operate.、Uh, now, you may be a low. I don't want to say lower level, but not everyone does it make sense to invest in Shenzhen, but Nanjing could be a a good good second place. It came out number two in our study. Guangzhou was number three, Hangzhou number four, Wuhan five. At the bottom end,、uh, for a variety of reasons, we have Changchun and Dalian. It surprised me that Dalian came out so low. Shenyang came out at ten.、Uh, Yeah, but these have histories of big state-owned enterprises focusing on these, and these areas, big state-owned enterprises or big industrial monolithic companies, don't necessarily tease innovation out of people. People fit into a slot;、mm-hmm. they have a very narrow view of what their role is. But Harbin was last, which surprised me too.、Hmm. Um, Harbin has the cities on your on the bottom of those、um, list. I think、uh, they also have a lot of universities, right? Shenyang, Changchun, Harbin—they、yeah. do have good do. universities there.、Uh, I think、surprised. people leave. I think Shenyang,、uh-huh. for example, you know, they all try to go to Beijing. If、that's、they're any、true. good, you know, that, that's one of the problems of、uh, of Liaoning Province. You know, a lot of、uh, migration away from the province. Mm-hmm. Young people, yeah, young yeah people.、Uh, highly yeah. educated people, yes, they、yeah. left. Yeah,、mm. I think your point、uh, totally makes sense because those cities have those、uh, historically they have the、uh, state-owned big companies,、uh, industry,、mm-hmm. manufacturing、mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and the system in those companies、mm-hmm. uh, is very. I don't know what's the right word to use politically、yeah. right, but、uh, it's rigid. It、mm-hmm. limits people. Yes, it limits people.、Mm-hmm. Yes, but having said that. Some of those cities, I think Shenyang, maybe Changchun, is big in automobile manufacturing. Yes. And that being the case, they operate in a world 
market where innovations relevant to automobile manufacturing become available to them and they can acquire these. So maybe they don't need to be innovative per se, maybe they just need to acquire, plug in these innovative pieces. So mm-hmm. it's not to say the products that they're making aren't innovative, they're probably keeping pace with other car manufacturers elsewhere. I'm curious about my hometown, Qingdao. Where is it on your list? It is number six, yeah. It's number six. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not bad. It's, uh-huh. You know, it's in the, not quite in the top ten, but we looked at 15, so it's certainly above uh, Xiamen, and, and you would think that Xiamen would be uh, quite a, uh, an innovative place. And I'm curious about, uh, you mentioned Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hang, Wuhan. You mentioned Nanjing. Yeah, uh, so Nanjing is on the top. Uh, what's the position of Nanjing? I think what ranking? influences, Nanjing is number two. Hmm. And I think that was distorted because a lot of new products come out of Nanjing and they, they seem to have the ability to produce new versions of products really quite quickly. I think that caused it to be quite high. So, What's yeah. the reason behind it? Did you dig it into it? Not really uh, that I can uh, answer right now. But, they also uh, have a lot of universities. I know the cities you mentioned, uh, Shenzhen, definitely, uh, you mentioned the yeah. uh, headquarters of those companies, yeah. big companies, tech companies. Yeah. Shenzhen is also the city that uh, Special Zoom first yes, opened that's and right, that's right. Uh, yeah, attracted yeah, yeah. a lot of young people. Yeah, yeah. very young. Very right. young and uh, uh, Guangzhou is next to Shenzhen, mm-hmm. has a lot of universities. Yeah. Hangzhou, I think uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, they have Alibaba as yes. the headquarters there, sure. and they also have, I don't know, I think about the universities, yeah, just yeah. naturally I think that's the talent pool. Yeah, 19- That's part of it, you know, the number of graduate students that you've got in your population, and uh, that's one of the factors that uh, fed into the uh, analysis. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you guys have a way to track innovation. What's the methodology behind it? So you come with this oh, ranking. Yeah, it's quite complex. So it's not just looking at the IP, the patterns? No, one of the many factors. What we did was we started off by reading all of these policy documents that are used to try to guide innovation, both from China and elsewhere. And we identified what were four major themes that were common to all of those things. And then we figured out how to operationalize measures for each of those four themes. And we found that there were lots of statistics Mm -hmm. that would have helped potentially us measure each of those four themes. There's a limit to how much stuff you can actually measure. And so the first analysis, we found that some of these things were redundant and we were able to lose 28 of them. And we gradually reduced down the numbers of factors down to 14. 14 items and they you know they were like the number of new patents per head of population the uh, number of uh, technologically educated graduates in the population all of this sort of thing mm. and a graduate and we used fuzzy math to uh, come up with an index which which is what we're reporting on here in terms of that that ranking Mm-hmm. Well, sounds very complicated. It was complicated, yeah. <laughs> Academic world. <laughs> okay, uh, that's interesting. I think it's time to take another very short break. Okay. And we'll be right back. 
China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, we are back now. So before the break, uh, Professor Reed, you mentioned uh, your other paper, which you digged into the where the innovation come from in terms of the China's cities, and uh, among the fifteen cities, uh, you guys did research, and you have a complex uh, methodology <laughs> behind it, and come up with the ranking. So how do we use that for business? Uh, uh, again, I come from the business side. I always want to say, okay, with all this type of research, with all these energy efforts you guys put there from the academic world, uh, what does that mean for me? What it means for you is that you need to know what you're paying for. So if you have uh, an intention of investing in China, and innovation is one of the things that you're hoping to get out of it, you need to think, how much can I afford to spend in certain kinds of location? And typically, according to our list, the most expensive place is also the most innovative. Therefore, you may, according to your budget, wish to go to a lower-cost, innovative center. And beyond that, you may wish to extricate or extract innovative activities from your value chain and located in a city which we have judged to be innovative yet at the same time do less innovative work in other low-cost cities. So an example, you could be manufacturing in Shenyang, you could be doing innovation in Nanjing. Mm. But a more typical an obvious example of this could be you could be putting together some sort of innovative center in, uh, in Shenzhen and doing your manufacturing in Dongguan, not that far up the road, and having a sales office in Hong Kong to provide broader reach to your target markets. Mm, totally makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... This tells me when we look at the China market, or if you want to do business in China, you may want to look at China by different geography and then think about your business, chop it up to mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> different parts, yeah. right? right? We use match, the term disaggregate. But. <laughs> disaggregate. You match your, your business goals with the resources. Yes. Um, 
Yes. Mm -hmm. By the way, I am recently. My company is helping one of our clients to locate their R and D center in China, and、mm -hmm. we have been shopping around. I think if I know your list. If I have it earlier,、uh -huh. I probably can save some time. Hey, <laughs> yeah, we haven't really been to Nanjing、no. uh, for this one, but we did、uh -huh. uh, look at it,、uh, you know, the major cities, Beijing,、mm -hmm. Shanghai, right? Which、yes. is typical. You yeah, are going、sure. to think Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. Those are the ones we looked at, and they're all high cost locations. And they are very high cost, and of course, I looked at Qingdao because that's my hometown.、Mm -hmm. We are、and、number six on our list. It's、right. not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did、uh, some comparison、uh -huh. on the affordability. Yes. So that's something very typical as a business when、mm -hmm. you go to China, you want to consider.、Mm -hmm. So, with the example I just mentioned, right? We are helping our client. To locate where they should put up their R and D center is a technology company, and I mentioned、uh, we are looking at、uh, you know the cost, how much we can afford、mm -hmm. to hire people, yeah, and、uh, we're also looking at、uh, well, is it easy to hire people or not at this place?、Mm -hmm. That's only two things we are looking at. With your study, the system you guys developed,、uh, I would like to be a little bit more sophisticated. <laughs> In this case, can you share us a little bit more or help me on how I should look into this? Sure. What we found was that there were eight key indicators that were very, very important in terms of the way it affected innovativeness measures of these cities. The most important one was new product sales being based on new products. That is to say that the Sales revenue the company generated, if it had a large proportion of that revenue was accounted for by new products, then that's an indicator that innovation is going on and they're able to push new products out of the door fairly quickly, and that was one of the primary reasons that drove Nanjing into its number two position.、Hmm. Also, we are talking about the talent pool. So what we measured was. The proportion of college students, as in as compared to the total population. So the higher that college student population, then the more it portends for being able to hire people with the talent that you're actually looking for. And then, what sort of R and D expenditures are the industries、um, expending? And if they are disproportionate to their size, then That also suggests that they are really going to be producing innovation, just、mm. like Huawei, twenty billion dollars on R and D. That's a huge amount, and you can expect innovation to come out of that. Also, the contract deals in technical markets for、uh, in relation to the population size, you know, if they are. Doing deals and getting engaged in all of these new high-tech markets, then yes, it's a, probably a good place for you to be. One of the curious things was that came out was hazard-free treatment of waste was a factor. That was surprising to us,、uh, but it was a significant one. Number of high-tech enterprises in a、uh, in a city. Oh,、Again. I totally go with yeah, this yeah. one because. The high-tech enterprises, then you know, a lot of people 
they work there.、Mm-hmm. They do side work、uh, outside、yes. of it because people in the high tech industry they、yeah. they want to do you know innovate new things. Yeah, and a lot of times、uh, small startups、uh, are the people like me, right? I、mm-hmm. left my course after、yes. and started my own company. Yes, so. There are many people after working in those big companies,、yeah. head tech companies. They spill over. They, yeah, they do this. They、mm-hmm. do things, and then of course we have invention patent ownership, per million of population. Again, if yeah, a particular population is resulting in more patents, then some work has been done usually to、uh, bring that about, and that requires talent of a certain kind and. A certain wherewithal and familiarity with the process of of coming up with innovation. Well,、wow. uh, I think uh, that's very systematic approach <laughs> based on your study, looking at all these different elements, and、um, from. The project that we are working on looks like、uh, we should consider some other cities that we haven't really considered, and see if those are. Just looking at what from the affordability side、mm-hmm. and the yeah. innovation and yeah. yeah the factors we should consider.、Mm-hmm. You know, the next step for this research could be to combine it, combine the measure of innovativeness with the cost of industrial real estate. Yeah, you、mm-hmm. have a real rich measure of not just the real estate because I consider. Hiring people, how、mm-hmm. much it cost? I'm wondering whether the cost of、uh, people in Shenzhen is really on international standards. You know, yeah, you know, no less cheap than Silicon Valley, maybe. Well, yeah, Shenzhen, Beijing, Shanghai,、yeah. they are all very expensive.、Mm-hmm. Okay, Professor Reed, you mentioned that you are teaching two classes in the Seattle University relates to China. Can you share with us a little bit about?、Uh, What it is about, and why this university offers this class? Oh, I'll answer the second question first. That was because that was an expertise that I brought with me when I came to this university, and I thought it was important. And I、uh, designed these courses, and everybody thought it was a good idea.、Mm. And I've been teaching them now for twelve years. Okay. So that's your idea, My and idea, the university、yeah. bought on. Yes, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then what is it、uh, about? Give us a little bit more. The compete and the collaboration. I think the, that's one of them. Yes, talk about that course. The、um, what we start off talking about is the role of government in China and how it's in a much more stark contrast. So we start off talking about the government、uh, because you know people. When they do business in China, they have to learn how to work with the government, and the government occupies a much higher profile in China than it does in this market and other markets in which people are with which people are familiar. And then we give some historical context. We talk about the opening of China,、uh, the role that uh, that. Uh, Has been played、uh, in bringing China into the Western world, and highlight the speed of development. You know, it's really quite dramatic in how how the policies have lifted people from poverty, and how they've developed their industries. Now we do a session on the role of state capitalism. Now, in parallel to this, we study various kinds of case study. We study Apple. Apple, how it progressed in China. We look at、uh, one of its competitors, Xiaomi.、Huh. 
Uh, we look at serious mistakes that have been made by major uh, international companies like Pfizer, how it really did not prosecute its business well with Viagra in China, mistakes it made. We then look at IP protection strategy. Very important uh, very topic. Important, yes. We look at the environmental cost of all of this high-speed development that's occurred over the years. And other case studies we study are Uber. We look at the experience of Uber trying to develop its business in China. Yeah, and finally yeah. being bought by Didi, yeah, <laughs> Chinese yeah. version of yeah. Uber. <laughs> its own analog requires it, yeah. And we look at some of the controversial things that have happened in terms of environment, such as the San Lu melamine-tainted milk crisis, where um, babies uh, were being poisoned by melamine in the dairy milk. Yeah. Again, mm -hmm. a new industry moving very quickly, limited um, regulation, limited oversight, uh, some unfortunate uh, uh, occurrences happening. Mm. Yeah. That broadly uh, gives you a taste of it, but we also look, look at Guanxi's strategy, we look at... Uh, Guanxi, you said? Yeah. The relationships? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we do. We look at the role of state-owned enterprises and uh, other general issues you know, mm -hmm. appertaining in China. Mm. So who are the kind of students that sign up for this class? The class I'm teaching at the moment, probably 40% are from Boeing. Huh. Yeah, and and we got people from Microsoft, from Amazon, um, and other. So it's all part-time students. Yes, these are part-time MBA, MBA students. Yeah, I see. And undergraduate students that take the the, the uh, understanding China course. Oh, that's the more basic ones. Yeah, mm, looks like. Yeah, they are, you know, from all over the place. But a number of Chinese students take it. Vietnamese students, Indonesian students mm -hmm. uh, seem to have an interest in this topic. Mm. Yeah, Sounds very interesting. Mm. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to say goodbye to you and to our audience. Uh, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with me and share with our audience about your research, uh, your experience about China. Uh, and we talked on the topic of the pace of innovation in China. Which is only getting faster. <laughs> yes, faster and faster. Okay, we're running to the end of the show. I want to thank our audience so much for being here with us. And today we have talked about uh, the innovation pace in China. And I want to send a special thank you to our wonderful guest, Professor David Reed. You can more about uh, Professor Reed on LinkedIn and uh, follow him from there. His last name is R-E-I-D. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for tuning in to In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.